discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Alright, hello, welcome everyone. To Star Wars from the back to tank, the Mandalorian. I just flubbed that. Can we take two? Do you need to to speak bocce? I need three PO to interpret for me, <laughs> so that you guys can understand my baby language. Well, at least you can speak better than a Wookie. Well, that remains to be seen, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. I am Michael Flores, your host. If you are new to our show because of the Mandalorian hashtags, they brought you in. I welcome you. Hello. How are you today, Dave? I'm feeling good. I'm really excited for today. Today was actually a definite uptick from from the last episode. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about chapter two of season one titled The Child. (laughs) And I will agree with you, Dave. This episode was a huge, huge improvement. Huge improvement. Over the first episode. Uh, This episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa and written by John Favreau. Now, Dave, let's start the show off with um, with a few things here. I took a lot of heat over the last couple of days for my comments about the lackluster premiere episode. You and me both. A lot of heat. Mm-hmm. And I find it very curious because the amount of controversial things we say on this show on a weekly basis, and this is the one that gets people angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. I mean, I can't be honest about the episode. And, and it was sad because we weren't really negative about the no episode. we didn't hate it it we just hate it. we just said it needed some work needed some work and it was a decent start but it wasn't ground shaking but apparently you know like we all wanted the big o that's what we yeah, wanted and we unfortunately we didn't get it apparently oh, I, star wars babies out there were angry at us yeah i i it's it's strange but you know what i wonder would as many people have this blind fan praise if the last two years had been filled with Star Wars greatness? Do you think because a lot of these fans who are in love with the Mandalorian right now, do you think it's because they're just not a fan of what, uh, let's say, J.J. and Rian Johnson have been giving us? It might be. Do you I think mean, that's what it is? Like, oh, my God, this is something I can actually get behind. It's the dude with a gun who is is action. There's no, like, perceived agenda right now. I can I, I like this. Do you yeah. think that's what it is? I honestly feel it is. It's because, like, let's face it. When the Mandalorian first got announced a long time ago, of course, in a convention far, far away. Oh, wow. Look at you. But, like. When that first got announced, people were so excited about it because they they wanted something. You could tell from the audience that they wanted something different and away from 
the movies. And also something that we can all connect and understand. Yes. The, the, when it comes from the yeah, the mainstream, yes, they may not know about Mandalorians. But, yeah. but the Star Wars fans, the Star Wars elite, we know about the Mandalorians. And a lot of us for years, since the 90s, have always been drawn to the Mandalorian culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. So because we can all connect, re- not relate, but we can all understand the Mandalorian. Like we get it. We're like, okay, this is what we're going to get. It's something that was able to connect us to start to the past of star Wars to, to a yeah. time when a lot of fans loved what we were getting. And I think that's why so many people, they were so willing to accept that this was God's gift to the world. Yeah. And that being said, I totally understand that. And if I was just watching the first episode as solely a star Wars fan, you know, I had a, you know, a beer in my hand, my feet up on the beanbag, just relaxing in front of the TV. I would probably voice no opinions. I'd be like, yeah, it's pretty fun. Pretty yeah. cool. But because we do reviews, I like to maintain some credibility as a critic. Yes. And there were some issues with that. There was. Now, that being said, Dave, we got a much better overall episode. The score was more concise, Dave, in the fact that it hit with the right moments. The right beats. In the previous episode, it felt like it didn't, it wasn't quite synced with the visuals and what we were seeing. And I thought maybe that was just an issue with the score. Now, this week, it's paired much better with the sequence of scenes that we were getting. It fit the mood. It helped convey a mood as well. So overall, the entire episode was just more thought out. The narrative was more clear. We learned a a lot more about the Mandalorian in this episode Mm -hmm. by simply paying attention to his actions and or decisions. Yeah, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say anything witty or one-liners. He didn't have that. Yeah, we didn't need that cheesy blue alien talking for 20 minutes straight it seemed like yes well that that would be longer than the episode uh we we didn't need to have this blue alien talk for five minutes straight to sell an idea what sold the idea was just watching the mandalorian Mandalorian. watching the character and and carefully paying attention to what he was doing much like the little yoda alien baby did this week carefully watching how many perspective shots did we get how many point of view shots did we get of the little yoda character as things were happening while things were unfolding uh in front of his eyes we saw from his perspective there's a reason why and we find out at the end and we'll get into that a little bit later that i just like we are learning about the mandalorian and trying to figure him out what's his ideology what makes him tick can we trust him can the little baby trust him we were almost put into the perspective of this of this alien of this yes. baby and that goes right into not just the writing but also the decisions behind the chosen cinematography for the week the or for this episode yeah the cinematography in this one was just spot on this time around it wasn't sporadic hey we're making a western type of feel where it was like let's pay an homage to this just because no. Hey guys, it's a Western because I'm shooting from the hip. Like, no, this, this episode, <laughs> yeah, this episode honestly was visual storytelling. Yeah. This is a clear cut example of how you do visual hey, what's st- that? storytelling. What's visual storytelling? 
<laughs> of course, people out there don't seem to understand this. A lot of TV shows nowadays don't understand the fine art of visual storytelling. But it also brings into question one thing. And please, God, I don't want fans killing me right now because everyone should know. Well, I'm going to kill you if you don't talk in that microphone. Oh, everyone. Oh, geez, <laughs> Jesus. Here, hold on a second. We're having technical difficulties. You got it? I didn't even move. <laughs> Go ahead. How's that? That's okay. Better. That's better. But everyone knows that I worship the ground that Dave Filoni walks. Yeah. You would eat the shit from his ass. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I was just joking, <laughs> David. Yeah. You're a sick but, motherfucker. But comparing the directing, you could tell the difference of direction in this episode compared to the other episode, the yeah. first episode. And the well, more I thought about it, that also remains to be seen, Dave. Yeah, because I don't want to throw it. On. I don't want to throw it. On. I'm, I'm not saying that Dave Filoni's terrible. Yeah. I am not. Well, well hold on. <laughs> there is a big difference because he's a fantastic director from the work that we've seen him do on Clone Wars and yes. Rebels. He's done an amazing job, but directing live action, action is very is different. Very different. So maybe the first episode was his fault. I, I, yeah. But hey, he's I believe he's directing another episode later in the season and I think that episode will probably be the deciding factor whether or not he is a, a capable of directing yeah. live action. And and honestly, the more I watched the first episode, the more I came to the realization that I don't know about you, but about like Probably the 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 fourth time I watched it, I began to realize I'm getting the same vibe, pacing and and uh, feel that I would get if I was watching Clone Wars, watching an animation, hmm. watching an animation in yeah. action. You know, you have these sporadic moments of, hey, let's see this beat, let's see this beat, let's see this beat, let's do this style, let's do this style, and then try to wrap a narrative around that where it's really, really erratic pacing. That's that, that type of directing is made for animation, not just, an, uh, oh, are we talking about the first episode? Yeah. The first episode. Yeah. Uh, we got a few tweets that kind of said the same thing as you, that it, it felt like Dave Filoni was trying to direct a cartoon, a cartoon. And maybe that's the problem. It felt like an episode of Rebels or Clone Wars, whereas yes. that would work with a cartoon, but doesn't quite connect with audiences when you're dealing with live action. Live action. And then you get and to that, this episode, man, the cinematography and just the, the, the directing beats that you see, the pacing, it's cinema quality. It's, it's really, it was really done very well compared to the last episode because now this felt like I was watching a piece of cinema instead of I'm watching a 35 minute short film. Right. Well, this is the writing. This is the type of writing I knew John Favaro was capable of. The, the narrative that was, you know, that included character development should be built into the story in a way that it feels seamless but, yes. you know, because we we did get character development. I read I read a few sites that were saying that this episode was a lot of. Um, that they felt like they were trying to stretch and waste time. There was a few blogs, big blogs that posted that as a review, basically saying this episode wasn't very good. What are you talking about? They're trying to they're trying to stall for time. That's called 
development of a character. That's yes. what we saw. People that call things stalling for time is it's because of this, this ADHD world where people don't have a whole lot of attention. The now generation. They have a very limited attention span. And because of that, they think that when you slow things down so you can develop a character, that that's stalling for time or bad pacing. That's that's development. And that's why this episode to me was a win, because we did learn so much about the character. And we didn't just learn about him by sitting there doing nothing and being bored. There was a lot of things that happened. I mean, think about the plot. He was returning home. He was attacked by uh, other bounty hunters, which is a whole thing we'll get into in a second. He was then ambushed his spacecraft by Jawas. He then hunted them down, hunted them down and proceeded to disintegrate them one by one, which, by the way, was amazing. (laughs) That was funny. I mean, dude, I was I died laughing. When he was just picking off Jawas from the hilltop. Yeah, as if they were nothing. And they disintegrated. Have we ever, getting off topic for a second, have we ever seen anything in Star Wars weapon-wise that would disintegrate its victim? No. It's it's one of those things that basically has always been with Star Wars. It started with Vader looking at Boba Fett and saying no disintegration. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Holy shit. And and the the sad part is we never saw disintegration ever again. <laughs> what better what better character is there? Unless, you know, Boba Fett himself. But the fact that they use the Mandalorian to be the very one to truly give us that first on-screen disintegration. And man, the effect of the Jawa disintegrating. Dude, it was visceral as fuck. Remember I said how the, yeah. the, the even the, everything was more visceral? That goes for the action sequences. When that rifle blast hit the Jawa or even the bounty hunter... You felt it. You felt it. You felt like the they they got the the effect and the sound to match perfectly, like the sound of the shot thudding and then yeah. <laughs> and I'm like going that that was that was one of my favorite moments effects wise was the fact that they took something so simple and just ramped it up because yeah. they. For me, sound design, man, sound design is something that is key. If you want to sell something like this, yeah. for me, I feel like the, the crew of the Mandalorian, the, the, the whole team understand that basically, Hey, we want to give the star Wars fans an experience. Yeah. That that's like sound visuals and everything else, everything like give us a happy cake. And that's (laughs) what I feel like the Mandalorian is is um you know i am even willing to reassess my original thoughts on the short running time because of course i'm a little miffed about that but when you look at when you take a step back and you really look at what they're trying to do here i'm okay with the shorter running time because this isn't a 60 minute dramatic epic this is a 30-minute pulp serial. Mm-hmm. When you look at it like that, it fucking works. It fucking works. It's just a fun piece of entertainment that's designed to feel like a serial. And when you go all the way back to one of George Lucas's many sources of inspirations, what is one of the main things he was going for back in the day for Star Wars? 
the old pulpy cereals. Pulpy cereals, yeah. So if we're using that as our, I don't want to say our genre, but our literary, I guess, uh, device to wrap the story in for motif and style, hey, I can get behind that. And it works. As long as we, as long as I feel like there is a complete story within that amount of time. Because yes. that was my only problem with the first episode. It, that was my biggest problem I had with the first episode. It felt, yeah, it was 36 minutes and it felt 36 minutes. It felt very short. This episode was actually 26 minutes when you take into account credit and opening sequence. But there was so much going on. And yet it felt fully complete. Yes. Which you can point to episodes of Clone Wars. You can point to episodes of Rebels where their episodes were 22, 23 minutes. And yet we felt like we were given a complete story with all the bells and whistles. So this episode not only just felt better in terms of character development, but the entire script itself was written in a way to make us feel like this story was close ended. We had a beginning, a middle and an ending, and it all worked together to transport this story, which was, again, more or less about the development of the Mandalorian and the relationship between him and the Yoda baby, which is all Yoda we're going to call. That's what we're going to call. The, That's all the, we the can baby call it right now. now is the, ba- the, the baby is the Yoda baby. <laughs> yeah. And the humor also was something <laughs> that I thought was also better. It this, was it was more subtle. It was more subtle and it hit its punchlines better when it and it hit when it needed. For yes. example, after all those disintegrations and wait, come on, Favreau knew exactly what he was doing. He knew we were all laughing. He. Because he wanted us to all live vicariously through the Mandalorian. Yes. Come on. Don't pretend you never want to shoot a Jawa. Yeah. Don't lie to us. Because every video game that's ever come out where you can kill whatever you want, the first thing I would go for is a fucking Jawa. Because I love the little screams they make. (laughs) Not only that, the Jawa... You know, I know that there's Star Wars babies out there that are going to say, no, the Jawas are nice. They're, They're fan favorites. The Jawas were always pictured as... Rats. Listen, as pests. 3PO called it way back in New Hope. Vile creatures. Exactly. Vile creatures. Disgusting, really. I believe that's what he said. Also, this is the same creatures that basically tried to sell a bad motivator to Luke Skywalker. Oh, what were they trying to push on them? <laughs> exactly. They, these are This is a character class that basically was tailor-made to not openly hate, but you kind of had a distaste for them. We were having fun. Yeah. We listen, Battlefront. If you guys play Battlefront, I mean, there's a there's a there's a <laughs> mode where you can hunt Ewoks. Ewoks. Yeah. So what's the next best thing, or maybe even the best thing? Oh, it's the best. Killing Jawas. Yeah. Because at least you're not killing furry. Nice furry things. You're killing like little vermin. <laughs> You're killing. Them. Yeah. See, three people called them disgusting creatures and disgusting new hope. creatures and new hope. And like, <laughs> that's why I thought that they, the, the portrayal of the Jawas was just funny because I'm like, going, yeah, shoot that one, please. Oh yeah. Well, that, get that one. Well, that's where the humor comes in where it's a little more subtle when the Ugnot character, um, what's his name? Cool. Cooley. Cooley. Is that how you I say his name? Cooley. He when he's taking the Mandalorian over to the Jawa encampment and he says, wow, they really don't like you. And what does he say? Well, I might have disintegrated a few of them. I'm like, I started laughing. I'm like, now that's good timed humor. And it fits his character. And again, people may not think that the way someone says something is character development, but it is because now suddenly we get that more 
kind of life is cheap, ruthless feel to a Mandalorian that so many people want. I know some, I know there's people out there that are complaining. One of your friends has specifically just wrote a statement on Facebook saying essentially that he's not bloodthirsty enough, that he has a heart. Yeah. Well, if you are upset that the Mandalorian has a heart, then you don't know anything about the Mandalorian culture. They're not savages. They're not savages. They're tribal. They're barbaric at times, but they are governed by honor. Yeah. Look at the look at the past series like Rebels and Clone Wars. Mandalorians are not ruthless. They're very. They're not Bobo Fett. They're and, not Bobo Fett. And that's what I think might confuse the more simple fans. The yes. ones who are like, well, this isn't like Bobo Fett. He would just kill someone. And that's why. Well, I, your Bobo Fett is a, a person that doesn't really have a code. He's a bounty hunter raised by a murdering father. And guess what? <laughs> Bobo Fett's not even a Mandalorian. What, David? How <laughs> dare you? He's not even a Mandalorian. Well, at least yet. There's rumors that they may go in. They may go in and retcon it. Yeah. But even if you ret- if you try to retcon it, at the end of the day, Boba Fett is just a clone. He's not a Mandalorian. And that's why I feel like the Mandalorian is a better avenue to go. I know a lot of people will really go pushing for those Boba F- that Boba Fett tv show or boba fett film yeah and i'm a i'm a fan of boba fett but i feel like we can learn so much more about the universe of star wars post return of the jedi with a mandalorian character with a character like this we can get the mythos pushing storyline that we're getting with this baby yoda yeah and plus i'm sorry why do you Boba say Fett? sorry? Don't apologize. Oh, I'm saying Be sorry. Unapologetic. I'm saying sorry to the Star Wars fans out there, but Boba Fett is not a very intriguing character. Oh, David, you watch your tongue. <laughs> He's not, Mike. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know what Boba Fett, who Boba Fett is, right? We've known it. We've grown up with that character. We already know who he is. He was far more interesting when before the prequels before the prequels yes before the prequels he was far more interesting now i'm not saying lucas assassinated his own character and made him uninteresting no but he revealed his past yeah we know about him yes there's little areas here and there we don't know but i mean we have other characters that we could use to explore the same time period i'm not saying i'm not I'm not saying I'm opposed to a Boba Fett story, movie, TV series. I think it could definitely work. But I think for right now, Dave, and where we're at as a fandom, we need something fresh and new. Yes. And what they're doing with the Mandalorian can be completely fresh and new. And it can be canon defining what they can do right now in this area of time. The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. They can do so much. I mean, and not to mention the use of this baby Yoda. What are they trying to say? I have to say the biggest takeaway from this episode, I would say from the series today, is easily this child and the fact that he knows the force. Yes, he does. He uses the force. And what does this say about this species that we know nothing about? Uh, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation circling, and I really don't know where to begin. But if I had my own say as a fan, you know what I would like? I would like for their species to be all but extinct. 
And this species is deeply connected to the force. To the force, yes. So much so that they are a part of the force in a way that we've never seen a species. We already know from past books, comic books, and even the movie itself, Phantom Menace, uh, they spoke of the virgins. Yeah. The the mass of midichlorians that encompass a, an area or a being. And if memory serves me right, uh, they've mentioned three. Okay, I have it right here. A virgins, sometimes described as a fulcrum or a nexus, uh, was a location of a concentration of the force that could be centered around a person. And they say, such as Anakin Skywalker, a location... Here it is, such as the Jedi Temple on Lethal. Yes. Uh, and various other Jedi temples and the Cave of Evil on Dagobah. Dagobah. And they also say the Mirror Cave on Achto and Mortis. And Mortis is the place where they're the father, the daughter, and the, and the brother. And then the Wellspring of Life, a planet that was the foundation of life, the birthplace of Midichlorians, and the dwelling of the five Force Priestesses. So... If we use this little Yoda to really push that mythos further, where we learn more about the Force, I think that's a win for this series. I'm not saying we need to have a bunch of Jedi swinging lightsabers no, around. No, 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 no. But what do I always say, Dave? Like, yes, we can have Star Wars without Jedi. But I, I know this is an argument that uh, this is an that you can make an argument for against me for what I'm saying. There's a lot of people out there who don't agree with this, but I feel like as long as you're dealing with Star Wars. The force in some way has to be a part of it. Yes. It's the very thing that it, it's a very meta way of looking at it, but it's the very thing that binds the galaxy together, right? Mm-hmm. All life. So how can you have a series that doesn't touch on the spiritual, the spirituality of the force? And just like what you said, you don't have to have the Jedi and the Sith involved because you're dealing with. Well, a, the force is so much bigger than that. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. It's so much bigger than that. And, that's why, like just what you said, we don't need like Jedi jumping all over the place and everything else. You can simply push the narrative of the force itself as a force of nature. Right. And if they use this baby to do that and maybe even explain the species in some way, you know, that this specific species has a very close connection to the force for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That this series will be forever relevant. I mean, it's already relevant, more relevant than I'd say definitely Star Wars Resistance at this point. In two episodes, it mm-hmm. has become more relevant. These are the types of stories that are, you know, canon defining things that we'll look back in another discussion where we have to pull up the Star Wars wiki and say, okay, in Mandalorian episode two, this is what happened. These are the types of things. We want, and that's why this episode not only was just critically so much better than the first, but also from a fan perspective, as a Star Wars fan, this is exactly what I want in a Star Wars show. Absolutely, and the pairing with the the Baby Yoda with the Mandalorian is so awesome because I never realized it till I I watched it the second time, and I'm like going, essentially, the Mandalorian doesn't believe in the Force. He doesn't. What do we know that for sure? At first he doesn't because he's still baffled what the baby can do. I'm sure he's heard of it. He's course. probably heard of it. But if you, if you look like that scene where he's working on his armor and you could tell he's very tech oriented, he's very, you know, focused on, focused on his tech, focus on like the, the science aspect or the, uh, or the, uh, 
the material in front of him. And then the baby just keeps walking up to him, wants to, wants to, uh, from what I guessed, it's trying to heal him. And then like, he's just looking at it, picks it up, puts it away. Yeah. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot going on. Yes. I think he's trying to heal him, but he's also, I think he's trying to figure him out. I think that's the reason why we keep seeing the Mandalorian from the baby's perspective. I think he's trying to figure out if he's someone that will help him, if he can trust him. I I mean, that's why the ending was just so impactful from a story standpoint. Oh, when you see him wake up, when you see the little baby use the force to save the Mandalorian. Oh yeah, that too. I mean, and never mind the the awesome. I, I believe you had mentioned this on our last episode. The the homage to Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's definitely there now. There isn't no. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think. I think because I think you said that there's a little you're getting some lone wolf and cub vibes. vibes. Well, we're getting more than vibes. This is a straight up homage to lone wolf and cub. Oh, yeah. And if this is the direction they're taking, it makes a lot of sense due to the genre of the show being that the show is being written within Westerns equal samurai films and vice versa. So if they are using that, that just makes complete sense oh yeah it's the visual cues that you saw in this one the 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 amazing thing about episode two was the the visual cues they used to set up their genre and their setting was done better in my opinion than episode one where remember we said it was kind of hokey about hey look i'm gonna walk up to this creature and put in episode one and and try to tame it it's a Western, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, th- everything was more subtle in this episode. Everything was more subtle and it was executed more authentically yeah. as a Western because like, I still think it needs, I mean, I still, if you're going to say this is a Western, there still needs to be a few things that to be, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm okay with it. I don't think it's awful, but, yeah. um, there's a lot of people. There's an article today that got posted that just kind of got me angry because, you know, I get I have very little patience with stupidity uh-huh. and somebody wrote an article and then they were sharing it because I'm a part of a lot of Western webs, uh, a lot of Western Facebook groups because I'm a big Western fan. Mm-hmm. I probably like Westerns maybe slightly more than Star Wars. Uh, and some guy wrote an article from a big site. A bit, and that's why if it was just a fan writing a blog, I'd be like, oh, OK, it's just a dude is excited. Yes. This is a big site. And if you're writing for big sites, know what the fuck you're talking about mm-hmm. or don't fucking write. He writes an article saying that the Mandalorian is the best Western sense justified. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, first uh, off, dude, first off, f- first off. Yes, Justified is definitely a Western, 100%. Yes. Secondly, that's probably the last Western you watched. <laughs> probably. That's and, what it and, sounds and like. And it's low-hanging fruit. It's the most obvious. It's, it's the like, most obvious. Yeah, I watched Justified on FX a few years ago. You know what? This is just like that. And he says it's just like Justified. How is this fucking anything like Justified? Justified's a Western? This is a Western. They're the same, man. Yeah. It's, They're the same. <laughs> It's the low hanging fruit. I agree with you. That's one of the frustrating things for me. Well, in regards hold, to well this. hold on one second, Dave. I'm not, I got distracted from my point. My point huh. is, is that there's a, there's more to being a Western than just simply saying, Hey guys, this is a Western yes. and he shoots from the hip and twirls his gun from time to time. Exactly. And I feel like 
we're getting there. There because there's a lot of themes that have to go with a western. With a there's, western, yeah. There's a lot of motifs that you have to put into your stories if you are writing a western. It isn't simply putting a cowboy hat on, some boots and twirling your gun. That doesn't make a western. In in all actuality, you can make a sitcom a 30-minute sitcom on NBC on Tuesday nights, and you could make that a Western, a Western if you knew what making a Western entailed. If you yeah. knew what you needed to include in there, what thematic elements did you need to put in this sitcom for it to come off as a Western? For example, Breaking Bad. If people have ever watched that show, that is a Western. Yeah, At is. face value, normal people, when I say normal people, the casual viewers who aren't movie fanatics may say, wait, what? This is a Western? Really, Mike? I'm like, everything, everything in this is a Western. The archetype, the character archetypes, the thematic elements. There's so much. That's a Western. So there's more to it than simply, hey, look, guys, he's shooting from the hip and he's taming a wild Bronco. And now he's walking over the hills. Yeah, it all comes down to more than just those stereotypes, just like what you said. For me, the, the reason why this resonated better was because... It did try well, you to You said use, it earlier. It's more authentic. It's more authentic. Yeah. I mean, the the way they used lighting in this episode actually made it feel better. Yeah. The, the way that the sun itself was almost kind of like a, uh, a character itself with setting the light. And for me, this is in my opinion, when it comes to my Westerns, when you choose your shots and everything else in a Western, the sun is constantly key for me because wherever the sun is, it's always sunset in in the Western in, in my, well, it, where it, does the sun set? Yeah. Where, you know, like, <laughs> See, like I get what you're saying. Dave, yeah. the, the, when you're working on a Western, there's so much more to there's a Western so than just more. simply adding a few things. There's, uh, many times the setting is a character is itself, a ketter, is and a the sun itself. is a a reference of of style, a, a style. reference of time that also is very important to put into a western. So you're absolutely right. Like, I don't disagree. It, it was amazing to me that I got more vibes. Everyone constantly says about like, oh, the Mandalorian's gonna be a, a homage to spaghetti western. Oh, wee wee! And I'm like going, you know what? What made this really cool to me? I started getting vibes of like the old. Uh, big uh, John Ford Western. That's exactly what I was about to say. This feels less like a Leone Western and more, more like, like a, a John, John Ford, Ford with big wide open, wide spaces. open spaces. Yeah, and the the use of shadows, especially my favorite shot, cinematography wise, just gave me the chills. And and it was cool because I was sitting next to my dad, and my dad was the one who pointed it out. My dad, Hi, and dad. Like, my my dad was like going, "Hey, that's dad. from The Searchers." Yeah. And I was oh, like, oh, he called it out. Yeah, he called it out. And I was like, going, oh yeah, you're right. The last scene with with Cooley and the Mandalorian at the ship, and they're talking, and they're basically they're in silhouette and shadow. Yeah. But you, all you see is the outside. That is the end shot of the Searchers with John Wayne when he's walking mm -hmm. out, walking out, uh, walking out of the scene, and then they end the movie. Yeah. And my dad like hit it. He was like going, this is like a this this is like a John Ford western. Yeah. <laughs> I was like going. Oh my God, you're right. And that when I rewatched everything, you know, those big, vast shots and everything else, that's what makes a Western. Well, that goes right back to how everything just felt more authentic. Things felt more 
um, thought out. It, it felt like we weren't trying to rush to the finish line. And that's, I think, mm-hmm. a good way to sum up my feelings on the first episode. It felt like, hey, guys, we started. Now let's rush, rush and to race end. to the end. This one felt like they were willing to take their time and explore, you know, mood, which mm-hmm. is very important. You got you got to you got to let the audience marinate in mood sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's what this did did the right way now let's get into this lone wolf and cub aspect just for a second there may be some (laughs) listeners out there dave that not that's not quite sure with not quite sure what we are talking about now lone wolf and cub were a series of ninja films yeah ninja films samurai films and yeah start off as a manga i believe in the 70s and then later became a series of films, I believe six movies here in the United States. We, and this is probably going to be a name that many people are familiar with. Uh, the movie in the U.S. that came out, I believe in 1980, was titled Shogun Assassin. Yes. And what this movie was, almost like a compilation of the Japanese films, the six prior films. So the U.S. didn't get the complete six films. We got one movie that where they took elements from each and put it into one movie to give us Shogun Assassin for the United States audiences. The series was originally titled Lone Wolf and Cub, and it's essentially about a disgraced samurai who is being hunted down by the evil Shogun. And he is also seeking revenge with his son And his son is in a crib or a stroller of sorts. (laughs) Uh, And they kill people together. And they kill people together. And it it, it was so awesome in that one moment in the fight scene where the Mandalorian uses his wrist, his wrist band to move the crib. Yeah. And it was so it was it was spot on on how like. The Shogun Assassin has like these little tricks with the crib and he pushes it away yeah. or it might do something. Yes. I mean, dude, I, I got a little giddy. I, I, I loved that. I loved Same it. Here. It was, it was clever. So everything worked so much, just so much better in this episode. Is it that did. even the way you say that so much better? I don't That's care. That's how I say it. I don't care. It works. <laughs> it works. So I think the biggest question mark at this point is what's going to happen moving forward. We obviously have that little reveal they let the camera hang a little bit longer on that tracker letting us know that the bounty hunters are still hunting this child and maybe even the mandalorian himself now is on that list yes so interesting story i really dig what they're doing after this week and i'm actually really excited for episode three i was scared after episode one i think a lot of people sensed it (laughs) well (laughs) in my tone you had you had a very valid reason to be because like at the end of the day, when you compare the two episodes, right? And I, I, I realized this to, uh, today after my third time I watched the episode two. Mm-hmm. With episode one, it was just in your face. Here he is. Let's go. Let's introduce introduce everything. Action, 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 action. Right? But there's no character buildup. I don't understand who this Mandalorian is. Why is he doing this? What the hell's going on? <laughs> and, 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 yeah, we, we we've kind of harped on that, but yeah, yeah. Dave, it, this one's so much better. Let's just and get the final thoughts, better. Dave. Let's we, we're running late on time, so just give me your final thoughts. My final thoughts on this: I know 
the last, uh, the first episode I gave, I think a, a 75 or a 78, but I'm going to actually give this episode a 88 because it did everything that the first episode should have done. And on top of that, it got me really excited what the next episode is going to be, which is what you need to do now. Because here's the thing. I don't give it anything above a 90 because that runtime is still, I know you said that you forgive it. You, you're starting to forgive the runtime. Not me. No. You're a son of a bitch. It's too short. I mean, even it even proved that it was too short because it needed the recap in the very beginning. Okay. How, how, how is it too short? If you feel like there was a complete story, because you told me you felt like it was complete. It was complete. Then why is it too short? Is, is that a fan want or a critical want? I have to no say. No fan wants when we grade. It's it, <laughs> it's a little of both. I'm All right. Say that's that. fair. It's okay. a little of both. Because if you think about it, Mike, well. You if feel it's, like they could have slowed things down a little bit it more? It could have slowed things down even a little bit more or added even stuff because if it wasn't. If you would have rearranged things from the first, leave all the scenes that we have. Yeah. In both the first and second episode, and you were to rearrange things, you could probably make episode one and episode two a solid 60 minutes. Exactly. And it would have flowed pretty damn good. And honestly, it would have been a 90 at that point. That's why I'm only giving it an 88 right now. All right. Okay. Um, my final thoughts, I feel like this is just a huge improvement over the last episode. I was nervous. I was nervous after the first episode that this was going to be, uh, something very superficial and light on development. And it was just going to be kind of a, a series that moves from A to B to C without a whole lot of substance based on episode two. It seems like I was wrong. They are willing to slow, th- slow things down, give us some development and allow us to sit in that mood a bit. Um, I'm going to give this a. I'm going to give it an 89%. So definitely a solid second installment. I think this is probably the closest me and you have gotten our scores together. With 88 and 89. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to be together on things. <laughs> it's good to be together on things. All right. So this concludes our discussion this week on The Mandalorian. Chapter 2 titled The Child. We will be back every single week with a new discussion on The Mandalorian all the way up into the season premiere. If you miss any part of this broadcast, you can always find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Just search Star Wars from the Bacta Tank. Also, if you want more Bacta each and every week, head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $3 or more a month and gain access to a plethora of Star Wars discussions. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>